Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson, his wife Carlotta, and their daughter Hannah Miller, this program will help you understand that human beings are more than just physiology, that for people there's more than just diagnosis and treatment, and that in life there's more than just medicine for a cure. This is More Than Medicine, and the doctor is in. Welcome back to More Than Medicine. My name is Hannah Miller, and I'm here with my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson. And if you were with us last week, we started a two-part series for fathers on uh, titled, What Disgruntled Wives Tell Their Family Doctor? And uh, we did two points. Uh, last week, Dad shared two things uh, that women tend to tell him in, in the exam room. And so we're going to do the last two today. And the two that we covered last week, we're going to do a brief recap um, and, and cover a little bit of that and bring everybody up to speed before we dive into the last two points. So if you were with us last week, um, don't completely tune out. We're, we're going to go through a recap though and bring everybody up on the same page and we'll dive into those last two points though today. So dad, uh, why don't you just take it away? All right. Well, last week I reviewed the four things that I hear most often in my exam room from wives who are very unhappy with their husbands. The four points are he won't help me with the children. He won't discipline the children. He won't talk to me and he won't listen to me. Now, the primary complaint with helping with the children around the house is an, an issue of, of being a servant and working with this 50-50 performance plan that we talked about last week. And a lot of husbands and wives, by default, mm -hmm. simply because they don't know any better, operate on that 50-50 performance plan, which says you do your part and I'll do my part. That plan is doomed to failure because it's presuppositionally impossible to ever believe that your spouse has met you halfway. The cure for that is to adopt God's plan, which is a 100-100 unconditional love plan, which is the way Jesus loves us. He loves mm -hmm. us with unconditional love. He gave himself sacrificially, knowing up front that none of us would ever keep any of our promises, that none of us would perform well. And Husbands and wives, as Christian people, need to make a commitment to our spouses that we're going to give 100%, regardless of how our spouse performs, mm -hmm. regardless of their ability or willingness to give to the marriage. It follows Jesus' servant's heart. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And that's the cure for that whole attitude deficiency that we see in a lot of husbands and sometimes in wives. That also allows for grace in marriage to more easily to be extended because when you know that, you know, my spouse is really doing the best that they can, giving everything that they can in this season of life, yeah. you're more willing to, or it's more easy, it's easier 
to extend grace to your right. spouse. Um, and then on, on the other way around, when they know that you're doing your best, because again, that's what, you know, we're never going to be per- perfect this side of heaven. And it's just, a, and the Lord just has the expectation of us to, you know, we're going, we're to give it our all. We're to do the very best that we can to be the most like Jesus that we can with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we communicate and connect with our spouse and we know that one another are doing that, then we're willing to say, I know you made a mistake, but I know that that's not, you know, that you, that you are giving the best effort that you can. But again, going back to your other point, it doesn't even matter because I think it's Jonathan Edwards. Who's usually attributed the quote. Um, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. (laughs) That's right. And uh, it it could be Charles Spurgeon, but I think it's, that's a Jonathan Edwards quote. Uh And, uh, but when I think about that and then I think about marriage and our call to love one another and serve one another like Jesus did. Yeah. Um, and Jesus, you know, what if your spouse only brings brokenness and sin and issues yeah. into your marriage? Just right. like that's if that's the only thing that they contribute. Well, it's the only thing that we contributed. That's right. And he still served us and loved us. Yeah. And it's that's a hard call. That's a very tough, and I've had to look at women and men across the counseling table, and and it's hard to look yeah. them in the eye when they when their spouse is only bringing brokenness mm-hmm. and contributing uh, that to still say you need to be Jesus. Yeah, um, you need but to be it Jesus is to your spouse. Yes, you need to be Jesus to your spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, it is difficult, but it is the call that's on our lives. Mm-hmm. All right. The second point we discussed was that he won't discipline the children. And the scripture we discussed was that the scripture says, fathers do not exasperate your children. And that it's fathers who have the responsibility to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that it's fathers who should be the primary disciplinarian in the home. Well, one thing I want to talk about this too is you you went through some great points about all of that. Now, one is you had nine children. There were nine of us. And discipline varied from child to child in, um, in that some children, like I'm thinking of two of my sisters, who they rarely had to be spanked because they were very compliant. compliant. Yeah. They were also, that wasn't what worked for them. That's right. Um, but then there was myself <laughs> and, and other siblings who we were like, how hard can you hit, bro? I mean, we, right. were, you know, we right. were just, we were very defiant. We were very strong-willed. Right. And, uh, and, and so, because one of the things we talked about primarily in our the first part when we were talking about discipline was uh, spanking and, and that kind of thing. But that doesn't always work for every child. Not uh, every child needs spankings. Not every child needs spankings. Um, and two, that's, two of your sisters, all I had to do was raise an eyebrow and, I know, and, they were and in say tears. a word and they dissolved they were so into weak. tears. They were so weak. <laughs> 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 but that's true. And I mean, I've had friends like that too, you know, where they would get reamed out and uh, we were, uh, and, and they didn't need that to come to a point of repentance and brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where it's imperative as going to your 
first point, though, that you made last week of fathers being aware of the condition, knowing their flock. That's right. Where it's imperative for you as a father to know your flock and to know what's necessary for one child versus another child. And even some situations, and don't get me wrong, it's difficult. That's that's hard. And the more children you have, the more difficult it is because that's nine little personalities that you had to know. That's right. Um, But it's the call that God has laid on the father's life. So I just wanted to be uh, kind of talk about that a little bit, that it doesn't always mean the exact same thing. We didn't have time to talk about that last week because we ran out of time. So I wanted to cover that a little bit today. All right. Last week we talked about discipline needing to be consistent, not unpredictable. We talked about discipline being purposeful, meaning that the purpose of discipline is to produce the image of Christ in our children. And thirdly, that it had to be carried out in love. And that the lack of discipline reveals a lack of love. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. All right, so enough of that. Let's go into today's topic. Um, The third thing that I hear from wives all the time is a complaint that he will not talk to me. And the response I get from the husbands is, I talk to her, Doc. I talk to her all the time. For example, I and I use these names all the time in my illustrations, Buck and Beulah May. Okay? <laughs> You've heard me talk yeah. about Buck and Beulah May. Yeah. Some time ago, uh, um, and, th- and this is actually a, a fairly close summation of an actual conversation that I had with two of my patients. Beulah May was a, a, a very petite, very pretty little lady who always came to see me with her hair fixed and her face, her makeup just right. Buck was a big man. Uh, he was a diesel mechanic. He always came in with, with diesel, the smell of diesel fuel on him, and he had grease under his fingernails, you know, and and she would sit in the chair by the laboratory. He would always lean on the exam table, and she browbeat him into coming to see me. So he was not happy to be there. And you could tell because he had his arms crossed and he had this defiant look on his face. And the first words out of their her mouth when I asked them, what can I do for you, was, Dr. Jackson, he won't talk to me. <laughs> and he looked at her and he looks at me and he says, I don't know what she's talking about. I talk to her all the time. And he says, and so, you know, and, and they just got into a cat fight right there in my office. And so I had to step in and, like the referee, break it up. Mm-hmm. And so she says to me, well, what's for supper and pass the biscuits? That's not exactly what I have in mind. <laughs> and so basically what she's saying is that superficial conversation does not pass muster with her. She's wanting intimate conversation. She's wanting Buck to share with her his heart. She wants him to be vulnerable. She wants him to to share his hopes and dreams. She wants to know his emotional content. Mm-hmm. But he's a, a, a rock. You know, he's not transparent at all. And she... She doesn't know anything about what's going on in his heart. She wants somebody to talk to besides one of her girlfriends. She wants a husband that will communicate with her like 
one of her girlfriends, and he's not having any of it. Nobody is satisfied with superficial, cliche-type communication. Many men talk to their spouse like they would talk to someone on the bus or the elevator. Their conversation never gets beyond the superficial. It does not meet the deeper needs for intimate sharing that their wife craves. Our wives long for a man not afraid to share his heart, his dreams, his feelings, his hurts, his joys, disappointments. Now, wives, you need to hear this. You must create an environment that's safe and non-threatening. You cannot be a husband squelcher. You cannot laugh at or deride your husband when he shares his heart with you. You must learn to encourage him and to draw him out when he tries to share with you what's in his heart. In the book of Genesis in chapter 2, the Bible encourages transparency when it says that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was both physical and emotional nakedness and vulnerability between Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were free to be totally exposed and yet protected. Their hearts were open wide. Their hearts were not restrained. Their hearts were not fenced in. And therefore, they experienced a great liberty in their intimate communication. They did not have to walk on eggshells as we so often do. They were not afraid to be open and honest in their communication. Transparency, like Adam and Eve experience, leads to oneness in our marriage. If you remember last week, we talked about God's design. His desire for our marriages is that we experience oneness, that we experience unity. Satan's design for our marriages is that we experience isolation, which leads to divorce. This kind of oneness reflects the unity of Jesus and his bride, the church. Failure to communicate on a deeper level, gentlemen, leads to isolation and plays right into the hands of the enemy who desires to see Christian husbands and wives divorce one another. So what's the diagnosis in Buck and Beulah's marriage? Well, the diagnosis is superficial communication. They're only communicating on a very superficial level. And Buck especially is not sharing his heart with his wife. So what's the treatment plan? Well, the treatment plan, not just for Buck, but for all of us husbands, is to ask ourselves, on what level are we communicating? And here's my suggestion to the husbands. The first thing is we need to practice praying with our wives. Gentlemen, take your wife by the hand at the kitchen table every day and pray with her. If you're not in the habit of doing that, then you need to start with something simple and begin to build on it. There is a supernatural component to praying together that will lead to communication on a deeper level. Specifically ask God to take you to the next level in your communication skills. 
He is in the business of answering prayers. And if we honestly ask God to teach us how to communicate with our wives with transparency and vulnerability, God will help us do that. Practice sharing who you are and how you feel, which includes your hurts and your fears, your dreams, your goals, and how you feel about certain topics. The saying that the family that prays together stays together is not a trite saying. It's a true statement. And when you and I as husbands pray with our wives and pray with our children, there is a connection that happens on a deeper level that is inexplicable. It is supernatural. And it is imperative that we as Christian men learn how to pray with our wives and we learn how to talk to them on a more intimate level. The next thing that I hear from wives all the time is he will not listen to me. Dr. Jackson, he won't listen to me. Now, some of you remember the Norman Rockwell painting. And it's a very famous painting and appeared on the front of the Saturday Evening Post long years ago. And it's a painting of, uh, of a husband and a wife and they're both sitting on stools, maybe in a restaurant, and the table in front of them is only about two feet in diameter, and he's reading a newspaper. And he has the paper up in front of him, and the paper separates him from his wife. And the wife is sitting there holding a cup of, of coffee in her hands, and she's actually looking out towards you and me. And she has this terribly dejected look on her face because it's obvious that she would really love to be able to talk to her husband, to communicate with him, and his total interest is in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. That stabs a dagger in my heart, because there have been lots of times when I've only wanted to read the newspaper, and my wife's wanted to talk, <laughs> and she's wanted me to listen. Mm-hmm. And you know, my wife can talk like a machine gun at times. <laughs> I mean, she just goes right on and on and on just as fast, sometimes faster than I can listen. <laughs> And there's times when all I really want to do is just, you know, read what I'm reading. And I'm a big reader. You know that, Miss Hannah. I I love to read. And sometimes my wife wants to talk when I want to read. And so I have to learn how to put aside the things that I'm reading and look her in the face and listen. And, you know, I, I have had wives say to me in my office, in the presence of their husband, Dr. Jackson, he won't listen to me. And what did the husband say? Dr. Jackson, I hear every word she says. I listen to her all the time. I don't know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. Well, his ears hear, but his heart doesn't receive. And more than that, he's not communicating to his wife that he's receiving. Mm -hmm. And so his wife is frustrated because she's not receiving a message from her husband that she's important, that she's valued. And eventually, out of frustration, she'll find somebody else who will listen, who will understand, and will meet her emotional needs. And she'll leave her husband and his newspaper or his sports magazine or his sports television And it'll be two days before he realizes that she's run off with another man. And let me give you an illustration. Many years ago, when I was a small boy, 
Hollywood produced a musical called Camelot. And I remember watching this with my mother when I was a small child. Now, Camelot was a story of King Richard and the Knights of the Round Table. And it was a musical. <clears throat> and in the midst of King Richard fighting wars and trying to prevent the fracture of the Round Table, guess who rides into town? Sir Lancelot. And he was young and he was handsome. And he was excellent at all manner of jousting and the things that knights do. And guess who was being neglected? Guinevere. Guinevere. That's exactly right. The king's wife. And guess who began to talk to her and meet her emotional needs? Lancelot. Lancelot. Exactly right. You see, the king was taking care of business, Mr. Businessman. He was doing what kings do. He was running the kingdom, and he was taking care of the affairs of the kingdom, and he was fighting wars and taking care of the knights of the round table, and he was neglecting his wife. Well, Lancelot rides into town, and he attracts the attention of the beautiful Guinevere, and next thing you know, they're outside the walls of the castle having a picnic where a married woman should not be. Well, later in the movie, the king realizes that he's not done well. The, the kingdom is falling apart. The knights of the round table have all gone away. And nothing in his life is going right. And what do men do when nothing in their life is going right? They go back home to their wife mm -hmm. in frustration and defeat. And so in one particular scene... Lancelot has gone into the bedroom of the king and the queen, and he's trying to seduce the queen. Well, King Richard goes into the bedroom, and he realizes that he's neglected his wife. So Lancelot slips out one door and hides in a closet. The king goes in, and the queen is terrified, thinking that she has been caught. Well, the king thinking that it's a tender moment and thinking that he's being kind and gentle and wanting to repair the broken down relationship, sits on the bed beside her and he says, well, what have you been doing today? And he's been trying and he's trying to repair the broken walls. But the queen thinks she's been caught and she thinks she's been being toyed with like a lion with a mouse. And she's terrified. Well, it's much too little too late for King Richard and Guinevere. The kingdom is lost. His relationship with his wife is lost. Everything is lost for King Richard and Camelot. Camelot is lost. And you see, it's because the king was not paying attention to his wife or his hearth fires or his family relationships. And it was too little, too late. He did not know well the condition of his flock. That passage in the Psalms that we talked about last week. And you see, he wasn't listening to his wife, even though she tried to communicate with him earlier in the movie. And I have lots of husbands who come to me, and they say to me, she's gone. Doc, she's gone, and I don't know where she's gone. I had a husband 
who sat in my office one time, and I asked him where was his wife, and she said, well, Doc, she's gone. I said, what happened? She said, he said, we just drifted apart. (laughs) So sad. Just drifted apart. And it's because they weren't communicating. And this same scenario that played out in Camelot is played out in the lives of Christian husbands and wives all the time because he won't listen to me. My challenge to men is they need to put down their newspaper, turn off the television, put down their cell phone, open their eyes and ears, look her straight in the face, and respond intelligently. Gentlemen, any hog can grunt at proper intervals. She needs to know that you're listening intelligently. Look her in the eyes and paraphrase back to her what she's saying and repeat her statement back to her so that she knows you're listening. A medical study that was done years ago had doctors go and sit in an exam room with a patient for five minutes. One uh, doctor sat down with a group of patients for five minutes, and all he did was look at the chart, and he never gave eye contact with the patients, and he never sat down. He wandered around the room, and then he left after five minutes. The other doctor would go in with a group of patients, and he would sit down. He never looked at the chart. He just looked at the patients for five minutes, eye-to-eye contact, and then after five minutes, he would leave. The patients were quizzed later, and all of them were asked, how long did the doctor stay in the room with you? All the patients that had this doctor who walked around the room and never looked him in the eyes said he was only in the room two to three minutes. The other group where the doctor looked him in the eye constantly for five minutes said, well, he was in the room for 10 to 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That's the power of eye contact. Gentlemen, look your wife in the eyes and listen to what she has to say. The highway department in South Carolina used to have billboards that said, inattention kills, Mm. talking about highway accidents. Inattention kills in a marriage kills just as surely, just not as quickly. What's the diagnosis here? Men often have our priorities out of line. What's the cure? Do what you did when you first started dating your wife. You looked her in the eye and you sighed endlessly. Hang on every word. Communicate to her that every word she speaks is important. And she will know if you're pretending or if you're for real. So you better pray that God will give you grace and he will help you get your priorities in line. Dad, thanks so much for that. That's much needed. I think my generation of, you know, he won't listen to me is not so much the newspaper and not so much even the television. Uh, it's more of he won't stop looking at his phone. That's right. <laughs> um, we we really have an epidemic of that amongst parents who don't listen to their children because they're so busy looking at their phones. And uh, it's this desperate need for connection that we have. And we think that we're going to actually, it's a desperate need for community that we have. And we substitute it for connections over the internet instead of having and creating community with our children and our spouse and our homes and our actual literal neighborhoods and literal communities we utilize our phones for trying to find some sort of connection and it's a 
not the fulfilling completely right. of the community that we need. Right. It's, it's a it's a good tool. It's a neat thing, but it doesn't sufficiently meet our needs, and that's the challenge I think to to men and women uh, of of today. Primarily, you're talking to fathers of you know put it down and seek that community with your spouse. Again, Dad's book is. Um, the Family Doctor Speaks, Turkey Tales and Bible Truths, and that's a great book if you've got a man in your life who enjoys reading uh, and just enjoys, doesn't have to enjoy turkey hunting. It's just a lot of really good principles on manhood, specifically biblical manhood, and Dad uses some illustrations from turkey hunting to kind of draw those out, um, but it's a good book all the way around, and I encourage you to get that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or you can go to jacksonfamilyministry.com and find it. Thank you for listening to today's edition of More Than Medicine. You can follow Jackson Family Ministry on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website. Be sure to contact them via jacksonfamilyministry at gmail.com for speaking engagements and for book information. Join us next time for More Than Medicine.